0: market, with a focus, again, on the efficiency side of things rather than on the renewable side. And we've chosen to focus today on the initiative that we believe is the most effective at getting technologies out of the lab and into the market, and that is our energy innovation portal. So this talk will be um, split sort of half and half between a broad overview of the labs with a historical perspective and then diving deep into the portal, which Matt will do. I want to say first a happy Feb Club to everyone out there in New Haven. Uh, Tonight is the Feb Club in D.C. event, and um, as Joe indicated, we'll be taking questions in the end, but please feel free to type them in ahead of time. And if questions come up that are somewhat outside the scope of this particular talk, say if you've got questions about uh, the Recovery Act or um, weatherization, or the grant in lieu of investment tax credits that we call 1603 or ARPA-E, any of the other topics, they're sort of hot topics for which DOE is known right now. Those are sort of outside the scope of our talk today. But feel free to enter them in as questions in the little text box. And I'm happy to take those questions offline. Um, But then just diving right into our, uh, our discussion right now. The Department of Energy's beginnings, of course, came from the making of the atomic bomb. Uh, we got together as an agency in response to the nation's need to um, to end the Second World War, and we were successful in doing that. Took a couple of decades after that for the Department of Energy really to um, to join together around that, and uh, as we exited. World War II and entered into the Cold War, our, na- our nation's national labs had to evolve. They had to come up with a different purpose, if you will. And their next initiative that they focused on was really um, Atoms for Peace. And each of the national labs then uh, then grew its own capabilities Sorry, we have a te- technical difficulty here. There we go. Here's our org chart of the U.S. Department of Energy, um, and as I said, we grew up in response to um, in response to World War II and the Adams for for Peace initiatives that emerged out of that. Um, I sit right now in the Office of Energy Efficiency and renewable energy uh, under the domain of the Office of the Undersecretary of Energy right now, who's currently acting in that position, Kathy Zoy. Uh, You can see here um, our our web of the national lab system. And the national labs are, uh, for the most part, uh, owned by the government, owned by the Department of Energy, but operated by contractors. And these contractors include such organizations as the Tell Memorial Institute, the research organization based in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, They're owned by industrial, uh, run by industrial giants like Lockheed Martin, as well as academic institutions like like Iowa State and um, the Regents of the University of California. And each of the labs has its own specific capabilities surrounding uh, the specific needs that it grew up to answer in response to the nuclear threats, the nuclear challenges, and the evolving national mission that came out of that, they're all regional in a way. They answer answer the needs of their regions. You'll find that Brookhaven is a very different lab from Idaho National Lab. And even Sandia and Los Alamos, which are quite co-located in Albuquerque, tend to be um, tend to be a world apart uh, their missions tend to overlap in some ways you'll find that a number of the labs work say on grid integration uh, a number of the labs work on uh, radiation work for medical therapy and that sometimes makes it hard to figure out how to um, how to work with the labs how to figure out who does what and I would I would challenge to you that, uh, that overlap is actually does make a lot of sense, uh, so that uh, researchers can work with each other across program lines and verify each other's um, each other's research. Our work with the Energy Innovation Portal, however, is an attempt to kind of bring all of that bring all of that research back into one place and allow investors, researchers folks interested from an academic level to really, um, to look at the labs as one-stop shopping. And Matt will be getting into that in just a moment here. The interest in our national labs is really quite timely. This is the front cover of The Economist last week where a pretty dim look was uh, provided to our economy in the post State of the Union, address. And we can see sort of a nation divided and uh, uh, downtrodden by, by debt and economic challenges and several wars. This is the, um, the word cloud, if you will, that came out of the State of the Union address. And what, what struck, us, struck us in commercialization here in EERE was the focus on innovation, that little word um, vertically written right in the middle. The focus on innovation, and I genuinely feel that it is uh, in our national labs that innovation can be born to help bring us out of these dire economic straits that we're in right now. Uh, So the focus of commercialization really is to get technologies out of the lab and into the market and to bridge the proverbial commercialization valley of death. We have a number of initiatives in EERE that are designed to bridge that valley of death. One is a technology commercialization fund, it was originally authorized by ePACT05, Title 10 of ePACT05, that made a number of provisions for commercialization. In addition, a uh, technology transfer coordinator, uh, who has just recently joined us here at the Department of Energy, Karina Edmonds. We're really excited about her work. Uh, Another initiative that we've sprung up to uh, bridge the valley of death is an entrepreneur in residence program. We operated that in the first year in three national labs, including NREL. In the second year, also three labs. And the the, the lab in which this has really taken um, the greatest traction, I'd have to say, is at Los Alamos National Lab, based in New Mexico, and would encourage you all, if, if you're interested from the point of investment or partnering with technology, that checking in with uh, the entrepreneur in that sense at Los Alamos National Lab might, um, might be an efficient way to get out and really check out a lab. So that's part of my talk today, is to encourage you to get to know labs pretty well. Another initiative that we've taken on here in EERE is called the innovation ecosystem, and this is somewhat of a departure from our usual uh, line of work in that this is a focus of getting technologies out of the university system rather than the national lab system. But what we're finding is that the universities and the national labs are working together, uh, working together very nicely. Um, to uh, to achieve these shared national missions. We're working with uh, innovation ecosystems in Utah, Central Florida, the Chicago Clean Energy Trust, uh, San Diego, and the Fraunhofer Center outside of Cambridge, Mass. And we're pretty excited um, about the work that is going on there. I'd like to introduce to you, just sort of as one example, one lab out of the whole family of national labs I decided to focus today on Brookhaven National Lab, primarily because it's the closest to all of you in, uh, in New Haven and Cambridge. It's right across Long Island Sound, um, located in Upton, Long Island, a beautiful part, just inland in Long Island. And again, um, comes with it a, a legacy out of our world wars. It's operated by a, um, a subsidiary or rather a joint venture of Battelle Memorial Institute and um, SUNY of Stony Brook. Again, part of that university and national lab partnership um, that's very effective. Um, our national labs are sort of known for being hard to penetrate. They're known for their guns, guards, and gates and tend to be not particularly friend friendly atmospheres um, to get in, you, you do have to register. If you are a foreign national, you need to make special arrangements to get in. Um, but that's because of the, the nuclear legacy that we um, that we maintain. DOE certainly does continue to maintain the, the nuclear stockpile, dealing with nuclear waste um, and addressing nuclear energy. So there's a good reason for this security. But it's very much worth your effort to. Um, to go check them out. Um, These these national labs themselves are just uh, jewels in the crown of of, of our country and if you can think about our national parks as being an incredible asset so too are our national labs. Um, Increasingly each of the labs is becoming more focused on the private sector and coming up with better, uh, better ways of contracting and working with the private sector, um, they're sort of being rediscovered, if you will, as we emerge out of um, out of the post-Cold War era. Um, and specifically, each national lab has takes a different approach to the overall DOE mission. Each of the labs um, is very different from one lab to another, very much expressing. Um, the regional, regional needs as well as the attributes of each individual lab. What you'll find in labs are assets that are either um, rare, uh, very unique, uh, very expensive, tough to maintain, and also require a great deal of security. Um, we've got user facilities where researchers um, compete to uh, Compete to use the space, and then they're also um, very much populated by members of the academic community as well as um, Fortune 100 names, like you see, uh, like you see below. Every lab um, focuses to some extent on um, grid integration, primarily because each lab is very much a regional expression of. Of the of the needs um, of its area, um, this one pro- one project, in particular, um, took place with several of the um, uh, Long Island um, public utilities and NYSDA, the uh, New York State Energy Authority, Long Island Power Authority, to use superconducting cables. And this is just one example of specific work going. National lab, and there are hundreds of samples that go on. Here. Um, each lab has its uh, can claim its own inventions, from sort of the the fabulous um, radio tin for cancer therapy to small animal imaging systems. Um, Pacific Northwest Lab, in particular, can claim two of the innovations that are found. Um, in the production of McDonald's french fries, sort of from the sublime to the ridiculous to the, the truly fantastic. Um, these are all what our national labs are all about. So if you're not um, if you're not taking advantage of our national labs from the standpoint of research or investment, um, I'd like to commend to you that you're really not getting your tax dollars worth worth we you pay your taxes and we actually go about trying to spend your tax dollars as effectively and efficiently as possible. Um, There are opportunities there for for kids, for undergrads, do fellowship programs, certainly for grad students. So really, at any point in in one's life, um, it's worth it to check out and to get to know the National Lab. Um, In order to decide which one you might want to check out, certainly choose the one that's closest to you. For those of you in the Northeast, that's why I chose to focus on Brookhaven National Lab today. Um, And also, choose the one that really piques your interest. And our portal that Matt will talk about here in just a moment really serves to entice people into the National Lab. Another, uh, Another way to choose which National Lab you want to embark upon next is which one you can get into. Uh, which one you can get into quickly. And Lawrence Berkeley Lab, um, right outside uh, Berkeley University, up in the hills, is um, by far the easiest to penetrate um, in terms of security. So I invite you all to um, check out our national lab. And our EERE Innovation Portal, uh, we think, is the best way short of uh, inviting you in and getting you into the lab. Um, that we can find to encourage interest in our national labs. And with that, I am going to hand over the audio to Matt Ringer out at NREL, who is going to talk more specifically about the innovation portal.
1: Thank you, Wendelin. Uh, just check real quick, can everybody hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine, Matt. Good to go. Great. Good. Um, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Wendelin and I talk about some of the interesting things that are going on in EERE when it comes to energy efficiency and trying to move technologies to the marketplace. A little background to what I'm going to talk about today. Um, In 2008, I believe it was, NREL, um, like many other of the national labs, had its management and operation contract come up for bid. This typically happens every five years for the labs, and many times the contract is renewed. But in some instances, you have the opportunity for new parties to come in and bid on that management and operation contract. In 2008, that is exactly what happened at NREL. And, um, uh, you could so, so what happened was um, if you guys could go back one. if you could go back to the presentation for just a sec I'll just I'll keep talking through it um, what happened at Enroll was that actually occurred and um, so in the process of propon- Putting a proposal together for the portal, Um, the the team that won, the MRI and Battelle team, uh, the commercialization focus for that group came up with an idea about this innovation portal. The idea was that if you did a search at the USPTO, you would identify approximately at that time 14,000 US patents and published US patent applications that had been created with DOE funding there had never been an exhaustive effort to try to get more eyes onto those technologies, to drive the, um, to drive licensing out of the laboratories. Many of these technologies sit dormant at the labs, and the idea behind the portal was that if we could get more eyes onto the technologies, licensing and commercialization of these important technologies in the energy efficiency, as well as in the renewable energy space, would start occurring. Another thing that we thought about when we created the portal was how do we enhance the bundling of technologies across the laboratories? Many times you have um, technologies that could be provide a more better solution than, than they would as individual technologies if they were bundled together. That actually happened recently in the last three years with NREL and Oak Ridge National Laboratory. And that kind of drove some of the development of the portal as well. How could we create a place where these kind of of, uh, activities, such as bundling, could occur? So how do we get the eyes on the portal, on these technologies? We decided that we were going to use the power of the internet and create what at the time was called the intellectual property portal. It has since changed its name to what we think more describes what we're trying to do and that is the energy innovation portal. We can go to the next slide. So before the portal existed, the technology seekers had to browse 17 national lab websites to try to find the technologies that were available for licensing. Obviously, this causes a bit of trouble when you're not a super experienced user with the national laboratories. Additionally, you did not have direct access to licensing managers who could actually talk to you about these technologies and how they are available to be moved out of the labs. A USPTO search on some of the patents that have been created with DOE funding would show UT Patel or as an owner for an Oak Ridge National Lab technology, or the Midwest Research Institute as the owner for a NREL technology. That not, does not make it simple for people to identify who to contact when they find a technology that they're interested in. The portal has solved that by taking the lab, the patents and assigning them to laboratories so that you know exactly who the laboratory is whether or not you know who the management and operation contractor is for that particular laboratory. The other was to attempt to draw some conclusions about the tie between DOE funding and patent creation. We're not trying to talk about what has come out of the labs in its entirety, but rather just take a snapshot of what that intellectual property portfolio that has been created through DOE funding would look like. Next slide please. So when you look at the portal, we think that there's, the value can be split up between three distinct groups. For companies and entrepreneurs, you're looking at leading-edge technologies that are available for licensing. You're looking at diversifying your portfolio with technologies that have been developed in the laboratory. What we offer on the portal is a business-friendly summary of patents. So you'll hear me mention as we go through this presentation, technology marketing summaries and patents. The portal contains both. The technology marketing summaries are created to be a more business-friendly description of what the technologies are, while the patents, as we all know, are legal documents that contain claims, they contain a, contain a description of, a, of the technology itself, but aren't always very easy to go through and read. Um, we talked about the, uh, for companies and entrepreneurs also, and Wendelin talked about this, accessing the thought leadership of the laboratories and the partners that are part of the portal. So if you want to know what the strengths might be at Ames National Laboratory in uh, Ames, Iowa, they happen to be experts in the metallurgical field. That might not be something that you know, but if you go to the portal and look at the technologies that have come out of Ames and look at the landing page that Ames will maintain as we go forward, you'll see the kind of things that that particular lab has. And that same um, thought leadership, as unique as it might be at each individual lab, will be highlighted by the technologies that are shown on the portal and the information that is shown for each particular laboratory. Investors can also find a lot of information at the portal. They like to typically, uh, especially in the VC world and in the angel world, look at technologies that are breakthrough, that are new, that have offered tremendous potential one of the things that we're going to be adding to the portal in addition to the content that is existing there now is what we're going to call emerging technologies. Now as laboratories we can't share everything with you until we have a published patent application to protect the idea, the concept, or the process. However, with the emerging technologies we can share with you what we call non-confidential summaries of these technologies so that you can get an idea of what's there an idea of what it is and what it might do, and then reach out to talk to the particular laboratory who has that concept to begin discussions about how you might partner, help move it forward, or in some instances, license that idea. For the Department of Energy, we're really focusing on moving our taxpayer-funded technologies into the market. Again, much of the work that goes on at NREL and the other national labs are funded through taxpayer dollars. We would love to see these technologies move into the market and show impact that the research that has been ongoing at the laboratories makes in the marketplace. We want to drive the licensing of these technologies. That's really the focus of the portal. And then, as I mentioned previously, create those linkages between funding and innovation. You go to the next slide, please. What we have here is a brief description of the patents and summaries in the portal. The portal itself is a simple web application with a database on the back end that contains the content and a searchable web user interface on the front end. It The content is patents, and I want to stress that the patents that are contained in the portal are covering all areas of DOE research. From that that occurs on the science side, to the most fundamental aspects, to that that occurs in the Office of Nuclear Energy, to that that occurs in the Office of Electricity, and, of course, that that occurs for energy efficiency research at within EERE. So the patents number greater than 15,000 in the portal right now, 15,000 individual data points, whereas the marketing summaries, which are the focused content on things that our labs are pushing out and trying to license, we have more than 310 of those right now. So when you describe the patents, we typically have called them low quality because it's a patent, And from a business perspective, it takes time to be able to go through that patent. But high quantity, meaning there's lots of them. There's 15,000, as I said. The marketing summaries are very high quality from a business and commercialization perspective, but there's not going to be as many of them on there. The target audience for patents tend to be attorneys, while marketing summaries were focusing on business professionals. Fields, as I mentioned previously in in a patent, include abstracts, claim, prior art, descriptions, inventors, Uh, who actually did the preparation of the patent application itself, and then who the reviewer might be at the USPTO. Important information granted, but when you take a look from a business perspective you want to know a focused description, the focused benefits of the technology, where we believe the application of the technology may exist, and who can I contact to get information. That's what the focus is on the marketing summaries. I mentioned that the technology areas for the patents are all DOE, all the marketing summaries are the EER emission space. They haven't been all funded by the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Office. Rather, they fit within that market space, and it may have come from various other parts of the DOE infrastructure. I mention that to tie back a little bit to what Wendelin said previously, that the labs have transitioned themselves and have taken much of the learning that occurred when they created the atomic bomb and maintained the arsenal that we have here in the United States. A lot of that learning and knowledge has now been expanded upon and, it's, and forwarded through looking technologies in alternative market areas and you can see that by looking at the technology summaries that focus on energy efficiency in the portal. Um, in the end, a patent is trying to show a, te- a technology. Marketing summaries are trying to highlight commercialization. How do we license these technologies and develop them? Next slide, please. Just to show you a brief overview of what's in the portal right now, this sh- slide shows the patent database. As I mentioned, there's 15,000 patents covering all aspects of DOE research in there. This shows a percentage of those that are assigned to the various laboratories. You can see that the NNSA, the, the National Nuclear Security Administration laboratories, being Sandia, Los Alamos, and Lawrence Livermore, have quite a few of the patents that have been funded by the Department of Energy work. And you would expect that. But you also can look and see that Brookhaven has a percentage of it. Argonne, Idaho, Lawrence Berkeley, Oak Ridge, NREL, Pacific Northwest, all have significant patent portfolios that have been created by Department of Energy funding. I'll also point out that there's a, there's a fair amount of technologies and patents that are listed on the portal that don't have a lab, um, that don't have a lab tie. That could be because they were funded through the Department of Energy by um, some means such as a funding opportunity notice, could be a small business project. You can also scan through those and those particular patents will show up in any search that you do on the portal. Next slide please. The next slide shows the content of the market, market summaries. And we have identified when we created the portal or we had identified when we created the portal, 14 technology areas within the EER emission space. When you look at those from an energy efficiency perspective, many of the technologies that are offered in here simply will offer enhancements to the, the way energy is used in the U.S. Some of them fall into the renewable energy space. Some of them actually fit into both spaces, where you have a renewable technology that improves energy efficiency. So we've tried to break it out into these various areas. And if you look onto the right, you'll see a pie graph that shows the percentages of the marketing summaries that fit into the technology areas. Building energy efficiency is a large area of research within the, within the national labs. How do you make buildings more efficient? i point you this because of the focus of this particular group, that there are technologies that focus on energy efficiency within the building realm and are listed on the portal. I also point out the energy models section. This is software solutions. Many of these software solutions that come out of the laboratories help address issues such as, how can I make my building more efficient? What things can I look at? You can look at GIS data. You can look at, or you can look at other data that allows you to get an idea of what the best um, technology or what the best option might be for a uh, better, better energy use in, this, in the um, in the existing market as it exists. And many other things, whether it be fuel cells, solar, vehicles and fuels, these are other areas where you can start to see energy, inf- energy efficiency um, improvements. So from that perspective, I think we maybe move over now and go to the portal itself. Um, I know that in a previous thing here, Wendelin had that. So Wendelin, if you guys could open up the portal in your, um, in your wet window, that would be great. All right, as you can see here, we do have the portal. Um, If you could scroll up a little bit on here so that we can see the top of the page, this is what the portal looks like. And I'll mention the address to you so that you can all all recognize what it is, techportal.eere.energy.gov. Remember it, bookmark it. It's something that we think you'll be able to use as your hub for finding technologies, particularly those that have come out of the national labs going forward. Several things I like to point out when I take people through the portal. The first is, right in the middle of the page, the the content, the numbers of the the data fields that are in the portal. You can do a simple search right below it by typing in any words you want to, and we'll demonstrate that in just a second. Several features that I want to point out on the upper right-hand side of the page. The first is that we encourage you to subscribe for email updates. What we're doing is putting together a portal post that highlights specific technologies highlights the development, and highlights what the portal is doing at the current time. There are about 3,000 people who have signed up to receive this portal post so far, which we are so excited by, and we hope to increase that to continue to bring people to this site. We also have a widget which allows people to link to our page, and you can if you're interested in linking it to whatever page you are, you can get the widget it's showing there on the right-hand side, and it keeps constant with the technology marketing summaries and patents that are on the portal. I want to highlight success stories. People often wonder, how do technologies get out of the lab in a successful way? We are starting to highlight those in, by working with each of our partners to get their stories up. This is a new feature and we'll be changing and having new stories added as time proceeds. As you look below that, we also highlight the events where we're going to be demonstrating or having the portal at, so you can come and talk to us learn about what we're trying to do, learn about the team that's doing it, and learn about the energy efficiency technologies that are available to come out of the laboratories. Finally, we have news. This is where we link to, for example, the the press release that came out yesterday. We can link directly to that from the portal and you can see the press release here, which had a wonderful um, wonderful quote from from the Secretary of Energy, Dr. Chu. Um, If we look also back to the portal, you'll see that we feature marketing summaries. So you can see the kind of technologies that are offered on the portal. If you look at Sandia it has a water contaminant removal system. Argonne has a slick coating that can be used for ball bearings, for example. And what and Gwendolyn and and have opened up what a marketing summary looks like. You'll see the various fields that I mentioned, the, te- the technology market, the looking at the description, what the benefits of the technologies are, what the applications are, and also you can see how we've classified it into buildings, energy efficiency technologies. It ties directly to the patent that's also in the database that describes all the information from a legal perspective of what's covered by the technology. And the other thing I'll do is if you could scroll all the way down now, Wendelin, if you click the Contact SNL, since the Sandia technology about this, you'll get your direct contact to Virginia Cleary or Jenna Esperanza who can help you move uh, as you move the tech, if you're interested in moving the technology out. So if you could go back to the previous page, what I want to highlight to this particular audience are some of the technologies that are available within the building space. So open the Building Energy Efficiency page under Browse. If you look, we have 50 marketing summaries right now on energy efficiency. If you open that up, you'll see all these technologies. Now, the labs will classify them as they may be efficient technologies, and you can look through and see the various opportunities that are out there for... um, for, for, uh, for licensing from National Labs. For example, there's a technology that has come out of the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory where you can put a microchip into your appliances. I, I'm not sure if it's going to show up on here immediately, but you can, the grid appliance, there it is, the grid friendly appliance controller. This is a chip that you can put into your appliances that will c- communicate back and forth with the grid to shut off the power needs as the grid needs it to to be more balanced. It's a fascinating technology that has come out of PNNL. You can open it, you can see it if you contact Peter Christensen at PNNL, he can provide more information on it. But this is a a very interesting simple concept that has come out of the National Labs that can help address energy efficiency. So with that, I think we'd like to leave the last 15 minutes or so for people to ask questions. Um, I uh, will turn it back over to Wendelin for her to add any closing comments. But I just wanted to echo my appreciation to everyone being part of this. We look forward to continuing to expand the innovation, the energy innovation portal. And we hope that it will be useful for you as you look at at opportunities within the energy efficiency space that have come out of the national laboratories. Thank you very much.
2: Great, thanks. Um, Yeah, we've got a handful of questions. Um, I'll start off with the first one from Melissa. And she'd like to know, how do the labs decide which technologies to focus on and um, kind of how they determine which ones they should rather leave for development by the private sector?
1: Uh, Wendelin, do you want me to answer this one? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. All right. So each national laboratory maintains a technology transfer office. And within that technology transfer office, we have what we call licensing executives, business development executives. Um, Some people have other names for them. But in the end, it is the job of these folks to look at the technologies that are that are created at the lab and are um, revealed through the record of invention process. What we do is we look at, we, we take input from internal to the lab. Uh, for example, at NREL, we use an intellectual property review committee, which helps us look out to the market and see if there may be a need for the technologies that are coming out. And if we look like if, if it looks like there's a need. If there's a company that has expressed interest to it, we will continue to work on the development of that technology through patent filing and we'll try to uh, move it into some kind of a licensable opportunity. Um, so it's not a, I would never say that it is a uh, black and white science picking technology. Rather, it's a gray area. And we make the best efforts we can here at the lab based upon input from experts here at the laboratory to decide what might be the best things to move out. I hope that answers the question for you.
2: Hey, um, we have our next question from Stuart, and he'd like to know um, what the DOE is doing and working on to commercialize energy efficiency technologies with large investor-owned utilities.
0: I'll grab that one, Matt. Uh, Well, the investor-owned utilities are like Uh, in some ways, like any other private sector or quasi-private sector partner, uh, in that uh, they are welcome to come into the lab um, and partner under the various different types of partnering relationships that we have, cooperative research and development agreements or work for others agreements. Um, In addition, a number of the labs have more formal relationships with investor-owned utilities. like uh, in in and they happen to be regionally specific. Um, uh, Rocky Mountain Power, um, Idaho Power, doing its work with um, with Idaho National Lab is one in particular. A number of uh, Recovery Act projects, Recovery Act projects, um, were funded uh, funding individual labs to do work with some of the regional utilities. Um, so I would say it happens on you know case by case basis. Um, throughout the country. Um, There's probably a big um, gap in that. Um, As we all know, uh, Texas is sort of a country unto itself and and also lacks a national lab. Um, So I'm not sure the extent to which the the Texas Connect does any work with national labs, but I'd say it happens throughout the lab system and particularly um, prolific in Brookhaven, in the Brookhaven area of Long Island, particularly
2: prolific in California and in the Northwest. Okay, great. We have uh, two questions, one from Rahul and one from the Heat. They're sort of similar, so I'll try and do my best to combine them. Uh, if there are multiple parties interested in a particular technology, how does the lab determine who to license that technology to? Or in other words, um, what is the likelihood of a company getting an exclusive license to one of the technologies?
1: Well. Let me, uh, I'll I'll take that one. Um, Every lab maintains, uh, has has to satisfy a fairness of opportunity. So technologies that come out of labs, um, we cannot do an exclusive license without having fairness for all parties involved to take a look at the technology. Um, Many labs will post opportunities onto the federal business opportunity site, uh, which is maintained by the government. And on that site, you can see opportunities that have come out of the labs and see if they're out there. Um, a lot of times, we'll have parties that, we, uh, that have come to the lab specifically with a project. And we'll put together agreements that have intellectual property terms where ownership and license rights can travel transfer back and forth between the lab and the party. Um, uh, but I can answer the exclus- exclusivity question by saying the following. We and, and again, I, I speak from NREL, and I can't answer it as every lab because everyone maintains their own individual licensing strategy. Typically, if we were to do an exclusive license with a single party, uh, say it's a startup, the risk of that technology never making the market is quite high. So we'll uh, we'll look at sometimes what we call a limited exclusive license. It might be field limited, meaning that. You can't do it and practice it everywhere. It might be time limited giving you a head start. But in general, we don't do a broad exclusive license just because it reduces the likelihood that the technology would ever see the light of day in the marketplace. I hope that that provides a good answer to that question.
2: Great. We have a question from Sebastian and he was wondering if you guys could go in a little more detail and describe what the, commercial, the commercialization and the national laboratories did under the Recovery Act in terms of kind of deploying the next generation of clean energy technologies. Go ahead.
0: Wayne. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the Recovery Act um, focused on particular initiatives and in each individual national lab, um, the the work tended to focus on research problems. Um, our solar program, our geothermal program, the Office of Electricity each came up with its own set of challenges that had kind of, um, if you will, built up over the years. Sort of um, large projects, significant gains in the uh, uh, technology roadmap for each individual, um, field, uh, that, uh, each individual program manager and then decided from a very hierarchical level got approved. Um, so to some extent, some, some of these were funded through the national labs. Um, some of them were cooperative among, um, universities, uh, national labs, um, sometimes private sector firms, uh, for instance in the realm of geothermal technologies, there were five major Recovery Act projects funded. One was for ground source heat pumps and uh, that was, uh, I believe, $40 million awarded to five institutions throughout the country. None of them were national labs. Um, Another one out of the geothermal program was the um, uh, geologic database holding all, um, sort of a common platform web-based platform for all oil field testing, data, that sort of thing, for the benefit of geothermal technologies. That was awarded to a consortium that included um, uh, uh, Boise State University and Oak Ridge National Lab. And then there were specific projects that were awarded to labs, sometimes continuations of research issues. In many ways, um, uh, there were there were funds that headed to sort of the Cold War legacy and the environmental management, the nuclear waste cleanup, significant progress was made in the cleanup in a number of different um, sites, including Hanford, uh, Hanford in Washington State, Rocky Flats in Colorado, um, Savannah River, uh, a number of sites got a bump up from there. But for the most part, the the efforts that I spoke about, um, the Technology Commercialization Fund, the Entrepreneur in Residence Program, our ecosystems in the portal, those did not get direct. Uh, recovery act funding, if you will. Matt, do you have something else you'd want to add on sort of what's the difference between annual appropriations that focus on commercialization slash deployment efforts versus uh, recovery
2: act? Well, I think
1: the only thing that I'd add is um, at at NREL there were a few projects that we were involved in with with the recovery act funding, Um, but in general most of the work that we do is more funded by uh, what we call an annual operating plan process where in collaboration with the goals and the project managers uh, at the DOE we'll put together um, plans about where we want to move the technologies forward and a lot of that comes from interaction that the project managers have at, at, at DOE with with uh, with um, industry and also some of the things that we see as development when you look at national labs however, you? Have to Always remember that we do have a mission, particularly many of the labs that are the Office of Science Laboratories, of really focusing on fundamental stuff. Um, one of the things that always intrigues me is I've been to, um, I've been to uh, um, Brookhaven. And one of the things that, that the, the, tour, the tour guide told me when I was going there was that with one of their cyclotrons, they were looking at what happened from a mo- on a molecular basis in the first nanoseconds after the Big Bang occurred. You know, and this is, you know, from, from a, I'm a chemical engineer and looking at that from a scientific basis, I can't even fathom the stuff that you're looking at. But if you are a, um, a, a real particle physic, physics, physics yeah, particle physicist, these kind of things are absolutely fascinating. And frankly, I can look at those kind of results and say, gosh, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, that could result in some kind of knowledge that could help improve our efficiency, could help improve some industrial process. You just don't know. And that is, a, you can't take away from that aspect of the mission of the national laboratory
2: system. Great, um, I think we have time for one last question. Unfortunately, um, well, there's a planned fire drill at the Department of Energy, so we're gonna have to cut this off quickly. Um, Last question is um, a question from Alan and Cynthia and they're wondering are there any restrictions on international companies um, kind of trying to get in the process of acquiring some of these technologies?
1: Um, I can offer a a bit of feedback on that one. Uh, In general when we look at doing both partnerships with companies and licenses with companies, we're looking for initial manufacture to occur in the United States. That's uh, what we call the US Competitiveness Clause. And given that many of these technologies were, were, if not all these technologies were created with taxpayer dollars, it makes perfect sense that that would occur. That being said, we work with many foreign companies. Uh, for example, I'm working with a company now that has a branch. It's a foreign-based company, but it has a branch or branch of operations here in the US. Uh, so we do that. Um, We've worked at NREL with, with many different foreign entities, and frankly, when you look at the markets that are developing, we hope that some of our technologies will inevitably be implemented in, in, in foreign countries. Um, you know, sometimes you look at the, the policies that come out of the foreign countries, um, You know, they, they may be more beneficial to the implementation of energy efficiency, renewable energy technologies. But the short of it is that we have certain statutory things that we have to uh, comply with, and we do, but there's ways that we will still interact with foreign entities.
0: I would add to that that, you know, as Matt said, there's a number of multinational companies. Um, so many companies uh, open up manufacturing facilities just across the border in Canada or Mexico, what have you, and certainly um, we've seen emerge. Um, Spanish and German companies as doing an awful lot in the realm of solar and the Italians and wind. So as, as the world becomes flatter, if you will, um, so many of the companies, whether they're determined to be American or foreign, or foreign, that becomes almost a um, um, not quite the accurate question when every when every company really can have an American uh, subsidiary. Um, the important part, really, that Matt mentioned is um, fulfilling the the uh, Manufacturing Clause and the Net Benefits Clause. And that gets to the heart of it, really. Are we exporting our intellectual property? Are we exporting our job? Um, and that it tends to be made on an individual case-by-case basis. Um, however, to get into a lab, for, for Foreign National to get into a lab, not getting so far as sort of the business contractual relationship, but just merely to visit, um, that requires just additional paperwork and the, the more that a lab um, is focused on uh, the nuclear arsenal, the harder it is for foreign entities to get in. Um, there is a deal pending, I, I believe now it may be finalized already, for a number of um, Taiwanese um, grad students to come and do work at Lawrence Berkeley Lab. Um, and that opportunity, um, you know, if they come with the money, that opportunity is as available to them as it is to students from Kansas or Iowa. Um, so. That's one of the reasons why Matt and I and the rest of us who do tech transfer and commercialization really want to encourage um, the American audience to take advantage of what's in our backyard and what really are uh, the jewels of, of the Department of Energy, which is out of the field.
2: Great. Thanks so much, Wendelin. Um, so we'll conclude there. I know there are quite a few questions we weren't able to get to, but um, we have Wendelin and Matt's uh, contact information up on the screen, so please feel free to contact them directly. And so that concludes our talk by Wendelin Holland titled Out of the Labs and Into the Market. We would like to thank Wendelin for joining us this afternoon and would also like to remind our listeners to please tune in to a special webinar taking place this evening from 6 to 7.30 titled Green Lighting, How Energy Efficient, How Energy Efficient Lighting Can Save You Energy and Money and Reduce Your Carbon Footprint. Please join Seth Lightman, the author of Green Lighting, Build Your Own Electric Vehicle and whom is also the series editor to the McGraw Hill Green Guru Guide in a conversation at Eastern Connecticut State University. Seth will discuss the benefits of energy efficient lighting and will help launch the Neighbor Neighbor Lighting, a program of the Neighbor to Neighbor Energy Challenge which is a community energy savings program made possible by a $4.17 million energy efficiency block grant from the U.S. Department of Energy under the Recovery Act. Over three years, the Neighbor to Neighbor Energy Challenge will engage residents in 14 towns, helping them to reduce their energy use by 20%. The program is administered by the, Clean energy, the Connecticut Clean Energy Fund and draws resources and experience from several other partner organizations, including Earth Market, Clean Water Fund, EM Power Devices, and Smart Power. And finally, to conclude this talk, um, we, this talk will be made available through Yale iTunes University and also on the website at the, center, the Yale Center for Business and Environment. Um, We will continue to delve into new technology, business models, and finance policy options as the weeks progress. Please stay tuned um, for our our talks that that are going to be scheduled for the next couple of weeks. We'd like to thank you all for joining us at the Blueprint for Efficiency, part of the Carbon Finance Speaker Series at Yale. This is Joseph Tang from the Center for Business and the Environment at Yale saying so long from New Haven, Connecticut.